Welcome to the Let's Eat Grandma Career Warrior Podcast. And welcome to the 95th episode of the Let's Eat Grandma Career Warrior Podcast, where our goal is not only to help you land your dream job, but to help you live your best life. Today, we're going to talk about the job search and why you should apply for a startup, why you might want to listen to this episode. You're on the job hunt and on the fence about joining a startup. Maybe you want to join a startup, but you don't have a good sense of direction. Or maybe you want to join a startup, but you don't know how to get your foot in the door. I brought on an amazing guest in the world of entrepreneurship. Steve Cahan is a serial entrepreneur that has had great success moving from the corporate world early in his career to the startup world. Steve will share lessons learned in over 40 years for how young professionals or those that feel stuck in the corporate world can learn and earn a great living doing what they love by igniting a career in startup life. He's also helped grow six startup companies from early stage development to going public or being sold, resulting in more than $3 billion in shareholder value. Steve is currently CMO at Thycotic, which will become his seventh startup. He's also written a book published by Wiley and Audible, and this is available on Amazon.com. It's called Be a Startup Superstar, which we will cover at the end. So let's launch right into it with our 95th episode of the Career Warrior Podcast. All right, Steve, how are you doing today? Good to be with you, Chris. I am so excited to launch into the content for this episode. And uh, just based on our past conversation, I thought there would be no better way to launch into this by hearing about your personal story. First of all, why do you feel like the startup world has been so good to you versus the corporate world? Well, to really understand that story, it, it begins many years ago. And what I learned was, for me, was that the traditional path from school to climbing the corporate ladder could not only be high risk for my career, it could almost feel like a death trap. And I remember so many times my father, like many other fathers uh, in your listener audience, used to tell me, he'd say, Steve, get your degree, go to work for a large corporation, you work hard, they'll take care of you, and you will have a great career. Of course, he would also say that your mother and I would much prefer that you become a doctor or a lawyer, but short of that, getting a job at a large corporation will do. So that was a path I took. And about a year and a half in, I remember opening up my bank statement, and once again, I was down to $50 in my bank account. I worked in a cubicle on the fourth floor of a nondescript office building in Schaumburg, Illinois. And I remember staring at my bank statement and the pile of claims I was supposed to process that day, wondering how on earth will I ever get ahead? And I'd work long days, and the student loans seemed to take a hold on my paychecks before they ever got a chance to hit my bank account. Right. So on that day, I I sort of asked myself, how could I earn a great living doing what I love? And I made the leap to the startup world and I've, I've never looked back and it has been absolutely a, the the right decision, certainly for me. And, and, uh, and it's, it's been, it's been great. That's a great story. And it, it reminds me of, um, you know, my own my own uh, bias towards startups is I've been in one for the last five years, and I, I really haven't looked back either. And uh, 
I want to frame this episode from the perspective of someone who hasn't really experienced startup life and maybe someone maybe has got a taste of it. Maybe he worked an internship once, but uh, maybe he or she has never even set foot in a startup. So what are some things that people should consider in joining a startup? Why should people even consider joining a startup? Why don't we start by defining what a startup actually Please. is? That's a good call. So according to the United States Small Business Administration, they say a startup is a business that has been in business for under a year and is actually in the formative stages. But I think that actually paints a poor picture for what defines a startup. So Doug Irwin, chairman of a venture capital company and serial technology entrepreneur, to me, he offers a far more instructive definition. He says a company is a startup if it operates like it's the last frontier for outlaws, a place <laughs> where nonconformists can live, create, and sell their ideas. And I love that definition because it's so cool. Who doesn't want to be involved in that? It's a place where you get to be the rough riding rebel running circles around the slower moving, typically bureaucratic, large corporations. And so really a startup is, it's a culture, it's a mindset. It's a small team of crazies yeah. hell bent on believing they could change the world. And so when I kind of look at that as a definition, I think of a startup and I compare it versus a large corporation. And so oftentimes you'll find large corporations are burdened with incumbent mindsets. The barriers to advancement are high. You're oftentimes pigeonholed in a smaller role. They're like giant ships. They're hard to maneuver. There tends to be more bureaucracy. And then compare that versus a startup where they're not giant ships. They're like little speedboats darting around <laughs> those companies, more focused on innovation. They move fast. They're more nimble. You have a better chance to have a greater versatility in your role, take more risks, and a much better chance of getting to the C-suite as well. Sorry to interrupt you here. I just I, Can you unpack the versatility in roles thing? Because I think for me... I get so excited when I think of the opportunity of having flexibility and, and having versatility. But if you, could, if you could just riff on that just for a second, that'd be great. For sure. So when I think of versatility in roles, I think of it this way. So most jobs in what I would consider bigger, older school companies offer a limited range of authority that you would have. Meaning in many ways that no single individual, maybe outside of the CEO, has the ability to influence the entire company in a significant way. Mm -hmm. So you get hired to fill a role at established business, and that's what you're expected to do, to fill that role. Yeah. And at a startup, oftentimes, because there's less people, you get the opportunity to wear many hats, filling different roles, oftentimes in various departments. That's how I would define the versatility in roles that you will find within a startup. Awesome. I know truer words in regards to startups have ever been said because, you know, I'm thinking about the last few people that I've hired to come join our company versus what I hired them for. And I think what they're doing today is making such a big impact because they have their hands in so many different silos and different parts of the organization. And each move that they make is making a big impact just because of the scale of our business right now and how much opportunity it has for growth. So um, you really hit it on the head with the whole versatility thing. And I think that's one of the 
best reasons, in my opinion, to join a startup. Well, I I agree. And let me offer one more uh, that I think a a lot of people think about. Please. So oftentimes it's the ability to move up and maybe even get in the C-suite one day. So if you think about, for example, in the Fortune 500, if you want to get in the C-suite in one of those companies, Mm. I've got two words for you, and they are good luck. There could only be (laughs) 500 CEO positions, maybe 5,000 in the C-suite all told, and many of these people stay in their jobs for years, which what that means is that your odds of them moving up and getting in the C-suite in the Fortune 500 are about the same as your odds of being drafted into the National Football League. Ugh. 254 players are selected in each year's NFL draft. Compare that to Love the that. over 46,000 startups in the United States alone, and you could see there's far more executive leadership opportunities. Yeah. I love that you said the NFL thing because I never thought about it like that. I mean, I think that when I think about getting into the Fortune 500 C-suite, I think it'd be much easier than getting into the NBA, NFL, and all those types of things. But statistically, you are right. It is incredibly tough to get there. And that's not to say that you shouldn't strive to get there if that's what your ambition is. But I think what we're trying to present here is that they're the same opportunity for career advancement exists within those 46,000 startups. So great point. Steve, I want to ask you something, and I love playing devil's advocate. This is something I do traditionally with my guests who are so passionate about something. Uh, But why should I not join a startup? What are some potential downsides to joining if I do decide to make that leap? I think the biggest downside is uh, that, that is typically associated with a startup is uh, frequent change, uh, as well as just quite frankly, the the company's ability to stay financially viable. Sure. And so, if you cannot deal with change in a in a big way, uh, that that certainly can be difficult because there is change like literally every single day, even at the company that I'm with now. And and you've got to be able to learn how to take that in stride to. Uh, quickly adapt and to quickly move on the fly and 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 be nimble. I think uh, another uh, of the big uh, sort of drawbacks that you'll often hear is uh, improper work-life harmony, right? And I've mm. heard that that phrase used just the other day as opposed to work-life balance, and I really liked it. What is typically associated with startups is that you constantly stay out of balance that you're having to make choices for family versus work. And what I found is that that actually isn't the case. And what I found is that there's actually things that you can do. Uh, For example, I'm a workaholic and yet I feel like I've got tremendous work-life balance. Okay. Part of it is because I, I am my own top priority. And And what I would suggest to your listeners, whoever get concerned of that, is to do something and maybe do it right now. So the the most important item on your calendar ought to be you. So if you're priority number one, go take a look at your calendar right now and see if if your calendar reflects this. If you open your calendar and check right now and see how many appointments that you have with yourself this week or next week, I'll bet you have too few. 
And, you know, you think about like yeah. some of the most valuable uses of your time that where you could actually block time out where you can allocate it to your family or come home and have dinner with them or, or go to a, one of your children's games or something like that. That often means you've got to plan for it. And putting yourself and your family first is yes. really not a decision that, um, that you could afford to not make. Yes, truth. Absolute truth. And I would even say, and this is, I had to learn all these things the hard way by not scheduling me time. Um, I think I'm really glad you brought that up. But, you know, even extending that to our own health and our own um, wellness, so to speak. But no one has time to go to the gym. Let's be honest. No one actually has time if they have some job and they're trying to live a social life. But that's also one thing that you have to make time for. And that's one thing that I have religiously put in my calendar, blocked out time for just to make it over to the gym because it's something that's important to me. It's important to my wellness. So I I love what you said about checking out the calendar because I think I'm a very calendar oriented person. And I think if it's not scheduled for me, I I don't think it's going to happen. Absolutely. And I, and I feel when you think of this work-life harmony, it's really, you know, how can you be the most effective provider for your family if you're not uh, kick and tail at, at work and vice sure. versa? What I've sure. found is that if one side goes wrong, then, then, then it affects both, right? And so the key is, is realizing that there's no perfect state. And I think people strive for perfection and they get freaked out if they're not achieving it and, and not, not being worried about perfection. But but again, if you put yourself first, you'll find that you'll find that balance. And then if you chose to work at a startup, you'll greatly minimize the risk of, of ever becoming out of balance. Great. Uh, Steve, I'm going to make sure that every single one of my employees at Let's See Grandma listens to this episode because it's this is great. Uh, just want to throw one out there. You didn't know this one was coming, but I just it just popped in my head. What about the the saying that you need to work 12 to 15 hours a day to be successful. Um, do you think there is some truth to that? And if not, you know, what, what would you say in regards to that? I think that there are many discussions that people have around, should we work hard or should we work smart? I'm going to work smarter, not harder. And that's, that's what we need to do. Yep. And I think it's a false choice. And so I think you have to work smart and hard. And I think that if you're working smart and hard, that what it really comes down to is that, yeah, there's going to be some days that you're going to have to work 15 hours just because it's crunch time. But then there's also some other days where you don't. And then also in line with looking at your calendar, how many meetings that, you know, and sometimes people say, well, I've got to work 15 hours on a particular day or a particular week because look at my calendar and look at all these meetings. How many of them are actually contributing to the outcome that you're, that you're looking to achieve? And by outcome, I mean the key uh, MBOs, uh, objectives that you have yes. uh, right now, right? And so my view of it is that... Um, that you really need to figure out what is right for you. But I think 15 hours on a every single day basis is without question unsustainable. I think it's really picking and choosing 
when those times are versus when they're not, and not just filling up your calendar when they're not with useless stuff so that they become those 15 hours. Yep. Right. And so I think if you view it that way, you can be, you could find that sweet spot. Absolutely. Thanks for bringing that up because I can think of about three or four things on my calendar right now that should not be there. And uh, that's what's eating up your time. And um, to be honest, I think now I'm entering in a phase in my my startup life in which the 15-hour days are going to start to come. And that's because we have a, a product launch coming out for a different segment of the market. And uh, I know that on top of what I'm working on now and the podcast and all that, it's going to take a lot of time. But I don't want I don't want it to stay that way. Let's be honest. Well, Steve, I want to launch into the heart of the podcast here. Um, it's really guiding people to that next awesome startup job if that's what they want. So I want to let you know you've convinced me. Okay, I'm ready to join a startup right now. It sounds very enticing, but how do I really pick the right ones that are going to be a good fit for me? How do I even get started? Right. So uh, that's a great question. And it's a question I've been asked many times. And the reason for that is, I guess if I would have picked one good startup and had one good outcome, maybe that would have been just sheer dumb luck. But the fact that I've had a few of them, quite a several actually, is that I, maybe I've learned a few things along the way of, of some of the core things that I look at when I select a startup. So let me cover a couple of them with a few of them with you. First is startup companies are small, typically, right? And you're going to be working very closely with those people. And so uh, first and foremost, I try to do a, a broad range of interviewing with the people at the company and actually ask for this, where I could ensure that I'm going to be working with quality people who share my values. Because the people at the company reflect its culture. And, and if you don't think you can respect, trust, and admire the people that you're working with, you, you want to move on. So for me, it, it it starts with people, but could end very quickly if those if the, that bar isn't met. Then quickly, <laughs> I'll move to the second piece, which is, does that concept fill a big market need? And you could do lots of research to go find that online by looking at what the industry influencers are saying, um, by trying to look to see if their product and make some judgment is not a nice to solve or should solve, but it is actually a must solve problem because people oftentimes don't spend money on, on nice to solve things. They spend money on must solves. And don't worry if there's competition, right? Be, worry if there's no competition because that will tell you that there's probably not a market. And then sure, sure. the other piece is, is the startup well-funded? So you want to make sure that you're with a startup that has a long enough runway to get off the ground so that you have your best chance for growth and stability. Yeah. And that's, that's a good way to put it. And um, quite honestly, we are not funded by anyone. It's, it's been the customers that have brought that to the table. But I think that in part, you know, our success and our ability to hire people comes specifically from the first two things and people's belief in us and the fact that to be honest, these people saw that customers were coming to us. And if, if there was no revenue, then there's, there's no chance that they'd have any way, <laughs> any way of making it or continuing. So um, I'm really glad you brought that to light. And we, we talked about this earlier, but I really think that the people who join 
your startup are almost like mini investors because they're they're looking really deeply to, into your company and deciding, do I believe in you or do I not believe in you? And then they're investing their time, like a lot of time into your company. So, you know, you used a word, Chris, that I so believe in, and that's investor. Mm-hmm. And the way that I have always looked at things is from that perspective. And the reason for that is, is that, you know, we all are many people invest in a, in a variety of, of things just with their own uh, personal finances. And some may invest in the stock market. And, and I do, right? Um, but do I know really what's going on? I mean, really, truly, uh, on the inside of those companies, I could read the published reports, I could listen to the quarterly earnings call, and I could build a pretty decent picture, but I really don't know what's going on. And so I've always viewed that the best way to earn the most amount of money is to bet on myself, to invest in myself and the company that I'm working for, because I know exactly what's going on. And as a result, it really is the most sure bet that I've always made. You know, we all work and over the years we become more successful and so on, hopefully, and we make more money. And, you know, the thing that I've learned is we've learned how to spend more money along that path. So there's kids <laughs> to take care of, there's houses to buy, there's yep. all sorts of things to spend money on, no shortage. And if you're just going to make money on, on whatever your compensation is, it's really hard to get ahead. But if you've invested in yourself and you've been fortunate enough, for example, to get stock options in the company that you're with and the company actually does well, that has been the best investments I've ever made. And really, quite frankly, how I've been able to uh, build a nest egg that I've been fortunate enough to grow. Great. Fantastic answer. I want to ask you one big thing here. I think a lot of people get tripped up on if they're in their job search, they're not sure how to reach out to the right people. Sometimes people feel like they're sending their resumes out to this black hole, which are these applicant tracking systems. But let's say that I do want to meet the right people. Um, What are some ways that I could end up having an effective job search, so to speak? So I think that there are some hidden gems that people often don't use. And so there's all the obvious things that, 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 that people would do. But for example, in most every city around the United States, there are accelerators, right? And these accelerators, for example, technology accelerators, what they do is that they will invest and help grow their portfolio companies. And so if you Google accelerators or technology accelerators, as an example, in uh, Chicago, Illinois, you will get, you will find lists of these accelerators with their companies. And a lot of times those, um, those companies uh, will put their jobs online through these sites because startups, they're never going to really be able to afford to go online, for example, at college campuses, right. go recruit people, right? And so that is one uh, sort of hidden way that you could find lots of great jobs and really across all functions, whether that's sales, marketing, finance, R&D, HR, what have you. And then another uh, way that I would offer up is a personal, heartfelt, and sincere message 
uh, via social like LinkedIn. Yes. I've had a number of people over the years who do some research, they do their homework, they see my posts, and they've, uh, they've LinkedIn messengered me very personally where they've sort of looked for guidance on their career and then sort of stuck out because they were able to uh, suggest some things that it actually showed that they were paying attention to uh, to some of the things that we were doing as well. And so what I've learned is that most folks who are in hiring positions, there have been many great people that have helped them along the way to get to where they are. And many of those people, I'll certainly speak for myself, feel an obligation to give back and pay it forward. And so I oftentimes will respond, not, not a, to every single one, uh, so don't get discouraged if you do some of this and you don't get a response right. Exactly. And then get, go right back at those people. And then when, when you have that discussion, you, it's very natural to shift the conversation to you and to talk more about yourself and your background and what you hope to achieve and get some advice of the best way to do that. And because startups are desperate for hiring, <laughs> once you do that... You, you, boom, you are in, <laughs> right? And so you have cut right through a lot of the red tape, so to yes. speak, and you're in. And a lot of people just don't think just to go direct like that. Yeah. They'll search for the open positions. They may not see it, but like a startup might not even publish all the open positions, or they might be thinking about, gee, I need to go hire. I know that six months from now, I've got to go hire in this particular role. And yeah. And, and they might go, gee, I've got the pers- perfect person. That person reached out to me. Yeah. Guys, if you're listening to this right now and you're not sure how to reach startups, go back and rewind this episode to the last five minutes and replay it because we're giving it to you. This is actually how you reach the right people in startups. There's no magic secret formula and no website that we're telling you is like the website to go to and boom, bingo, you're going to get a job. Like this is the type of smart and hard work that gets you into the right roles to get a good startup job. So Steve, I can't thank you enough for the answers you've given so far. I think you've been very insightful. Um, I want to make sure we do cover your book and how people can reach you. But first, my favorite question is, if you could tattoo one encouraging message for anyone looking to apply for a startup, what would that message be? The message that I would leave is this. Today's startups have big ideas and they're well-funded and they're desperate to hire smart, motivated, hardworking people willing to share their talents in innovative workspaces that are buzzing with energy and opportunity. So if you want to earn a great living doing what you love for the right startup, you could be a godsend. Love that. Great. Fantastic. So what's, tell me about this book. I'm excited. Um, I think people need to know what the message is of the book and why you wrote it. So I've had many people over the years uh, ask me questions on, you know, what's, how do I choose a great startup or... Uh, how do I be successful in my career so that I can maximize my success across every dimension? And I've had the opportunity to mentor some wonderful people. And so I wrote a book called Be a Startup Superstar. And essentially, the book covers three key topics. First, 
why you should select a startup over a large corporation. Secondly, how to find and land a job at the best startup. And third, under what I uh, put under seven keys to the C-suite, 35 actions, attitudes, and behaviors one should take to maximize success once they've decided to join a startup. I love that. People need that. And uh, I'm thoroughly convinced that this is a book that I need to read. I'm excited to read. Um, can you talk about how we can access the book? Is it online or, or where can I find it? So uh, the book is released on December 5th. And um, you could find that book at the website, which is uh, beastartupsuperstar.com or wherever books are sold online. All right. Awesome. Well, Steve, you've been a fantastic guest and I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Thanks for joining us today. It's been a lot of fun and I thank you. Perfect. And this concludes our 95th episode of the Let's Eat Grandma Career Warrior Podcast. Wow. Love startup content, startup episode. We don't have enough of them. And I'm glad Steve was able to cover why and how you should be applying for startups. Just because I believe there's so much opportunity within so many companies out there that are going to grow. And a few other recommendations I have for those of you who found this to be interesting. We have another episode with Michael Testa that was, I believe, in the 50s. It talks about the benefits and should you start your own company or not if you have an entrepreneurial itch. And we also have another episode on navigating career changes. That's our second episode. And it's with Clara Chorley. And she talks about transitioning into different industries and different job types if you are looking to make a specific transition into the startup life. So those are my episode picks for today. And I'm so grateful for all of you. Please go out and enjoy the rest of your day. I will see you next time. And for more on your job search, make sure to check out letseatgrandma.com. That's where you can find our blog, where we post the podcast show notes and so many more articles that will help you in your job search. You can also check out our resume services if you are interested in getting your resume professionally reworked. And please make sure to show us some love by jumping onto iTunes and leaving us a rating. The support from my fellow warriors will show the world how great this podcast is and help other people in their job search. Pay it forward. Thanks guys for being true warriors and thank you for tuning in. I'll see you next week.